welcome once again to the Brentwood Baptist Life Group Leader Podcast. And we're back to being global, that is to say, all campuses are involved. I enjoyed the summer series, each campus digging in their own way, but it's good to be back as one big family, and even better to be back to talk about disciple making. Our text in question is Matthew 4, 18 through 22. We're going to talk about who is a disciple. I'm Paul Wilkinson, adult minister groups associate on the Brentwood campus, and it's good to be back. You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. I don't know for the life of me why we did not include verse 23. This is one of my favorite texts, is Matthew 4, uh, 19 and following, uh, really in, in all the Bible. And for whatever reason, we left out uh, verse 23, which is one of my favorite verses. And it is going to be a favorite verse to anyone who's an old Sunday school guy where it talks about Jesus and the work he did when he and the disciples went out together. Verse 23 says, now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And the old Sunday school guys always like to say, preach, teach, and minister. Or I would say heal if you have that gift or God wants to work that gift through you. Uh, Then definitely be about the healing ministry. But I hate that we left out the preach, teach, and and minister. So feel free to bring that up. And I encourage you to bring that up in your groups. And so often, if we'll just do those basics well, if we'll just teach the word of God, if we'll just preach the good news that we are kingdom citizens and when we confess our faith in the lordship of jesus christ and believe in his resurrection uh, that we become children of god in his kingdom and then we're just called to minister both inside the body and outside so we just do the basics we just do the basics life seems to work out well so i hope you had a good first week in this series at at your campus talking about the great commission Uh, so much good stuff was elevated there uh the key term was hit upon i think in most of your sermons i listened to all the ones that are available uh but peru am i to go with intent to go with purpose um they i don't know if you've ever and there's another term for walking around peripateo and uh, oftentimes it can mean lifestyle behavior peri p-e-r-i like perimeter means around distance around a thing and then so it really just means to walk around and there's actually a school of philosophy called the peripatetic school which was a um, group of disciples of Aristotle. And they would walk around espousing the teachings of Aristotle. Lasted well, I think, into the third century uh, following Christ. Nevertheless, Peruamai was chosen and superintended and supervised by the Holy Spirit to say, we're going with the intent. We're going with the intent of disciple making. And we do it by baptizing people, which implies evangelism. You don't don't baptize people randomly. You baptize those who repent, make a confession of faith. And then we teach them to obey, obey all that Jesus commanded. I think there's something like 30 some odd explicit commands, uh, plenty more commands in the Bible and even from Jesus, but explicit, like do these forever type commands of Jesus. But in in a simple way, we really just need to, don't we? Uh, Jesus summed it well himself, love God, love others. 
love God and love others. And if we do that first one well, we learn how to love God well, then we're going to exemplify that and love others well. So that's what we want to be about. We want to be a people who go around baptizing folks because they've made confessions of faith. And then we want to teach them to obey how to love God well and how to love others well. I want to walk with you through first century discipleship. This was impactful for me to learn. And then we're going to look at what Jesus actually did when he called his disciples. But I want to set the context for that calling. So first century discipleship, how did it work? This comes from Bible.org. The article is called Being a First Century Disciple. You can see it in the show notes. I'll put the link there by Doug Greenwald. I'm assuming that's a German W there. But first century discipleship went uh, essentially like this, is that everybody knew uh, the scriptures. Everybody knew the Mosaic law. Everybody knew the prophets, at least Isaiah, Jeremiah, probably Ezekiel. Everybody was fully aware of what the text said. They, they knew the content. They knew the facts, which unfortunately is how we have often reduced knowledge in our contemporary context. If you're smart, you know a lot of facts about a thing. But we want to go beyond that because everybody knew the facts. So what was the goal of the rabbi? What was the purpose of the rabbi? The rabbi was to give authoritative interpretation to those facts. In other words, to explain and expound upon and then help us to live out the facts. So, for instance, we read in the law. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. The article points out uh, we got to make decisions in real life. In first century Palestine, may I light a candle on the Sabbath? Or how many candles should I light on the Sabbath? How am I keeping it holy? And the rabbi would be the ones who would interpret this and give the authoritative interpretation of how we ought to live out the facts, the content uh, that we know, that we all agree upon in the text. So if you if you look at it in that framework, you understand that the apostles that we see, that the 12 disciples of the 11 plus 1, get rid of Judas there. They all knew who Jesus was already in our curriculum uh, for the day elevates that, that they were aware of Jesus. But Jesus had been teaching. He had been teaching seemingly radical things in the synagogue about what Moses really intended with the law or what God intended through Moses with the law. They interpreted the prophets in, in radical ways. Jesus was teaching these radical things about his messiahship that he was uh, the son of David come to restore the Davidic throne, teaching that the kingdom of God was at hand, coming with miraculous signs and wonders to the people, healing all these diseases. And you think back to some of them saying when Jesus would come to the synagogue, this he teaches like one with authority. Uh, they're not talking about authority of interpretation there, because every rabbi had authority of interpretation. They were talking about he teaches as one with authority over the text itself. And you think about Jesus, um, truly, truly, I tell you, Moses said, but truly, I tell you, and in my South Carolinian, that ain't what he ought to have been saying uh, there. If he is a true prophet of God, he should be saying, thus saith the Lord. But Jesus came and said, I'm telling you this. He has authority over the text. And he exemplifies that in the works and miraculous wonders that he did. So Jesus was here with his radical message. The apostles, as we know them, understood that. They would listen to him, and then he comes and he calls them as his disciples. So they were well aware of what he was teaching. Now, they fully didn't understand it. Even after three years, they didn't fully understand it till post-resurrection and then probably even till post-Pentecost, post-Acts 2. But what they did understand is that there was something special about Jesus. 
he wasn't just some weirdo who, you know, wandered from a back alley in Jerusalem somewhere. He was a prominent teacher that people were aware of that was teaching radical things about the kingdom of God. And he calls these men to be his disciples and says, come, follow me. I'm going to show you the way to live out the law, the way to live out the prophets, the way to live out the kingdom of God as God intended. So first century discipleship was really radical. And I pray that it will become just as radical to us that when we confess salvation, it wasn't merely to be saved from hell, from Satan, from death. Of course, that happens, right? Paul makes much of it. Uh, Oh, death, where's your sting? Mocks death. Uh, We're not in bondage anymore. We've been ransomed, Mark says. But I, I hope there's another layer to your having come to faith. Uh, another layer that says uh, we know generally what what life is about. We know the facts of it as we look around at our families, as we look around at our society. But this man Jesus comes with a radical, radical new way to live it, a radical new way to think about the kingdom of God, and that has been inaugurated in his person and work. And I'm called into that kind of existence. Uh, that's that's a big deal. So I don't want to downplay the former, but I do want to also emphasize the latter uh, as we go about our business here. I want to share with you my big five, as I call them. And I stole these unabashedly from Alan Taylor. Uh, was Works for Lifeway now, does a Minister of Education Essentials, and was Minister of Education for years and years and years at uh, Woodstock, uh, First Baptist in Woodstock, Georgia. But goes through these five texts that are explicit about um, love being found in Jesus, loving Jesus, or just explicitly about being a disciple of Jesus. And so these five texts are good texts to buttress what we're going to talk about in Matthew 4. So I'll, I'll link to all these in the show notes as well. So for now, just listen. Luke 9.23 And Jesus said to them all, if anyone wants to follow me, and remember our who is a disciple diagram, Believe and follow Jesus. Believe and follow Jesus. All right. So he said, anyone who wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross daily. That is the Lordship of Christ and all that comes with it. Luke 9, 23. John eight thirty one. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You catch the contingency there? If you are continuing in my word, you really are my disciples. So we got to take up our cross daily in following Jesus and we got to remain in his word. John 8, 31. John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Another contingent statement, another conditional statement. If you love one another, then everyone will know you are my disciples. You'll be my disciples. And he's talking there to the 12 um, or 11 plus in, after the Lord's Supper. All right. That's John 13, 35. John 14, 1. I mean, 14, 1. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. John 14, 15. So we got to take up our cross daily. We got to abide and remain in the word of Jesus. We have to love one another within the fellowship of faith. And then we got to keep God's commands. And then 15, 8, John 15, 8. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. 
produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And so, of course, there's some dual meaning to fruit because we always get like the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. So part of it is the behaviors that are manifest in us because of the work the spirit does in us. But then there's also the multiplication in fruit because this is a vine bearing fruit, feeding off the nourishment of the vine, which is Jesus Christ. And likewise, we ought to be blooming more fruit. All right. So those are my big five that I think about in a quick run through the text of what what is a disciple um, is one who is following Jesus by taking up his cross. One is who staying in the word of Jesus, abiding by it. One who is loving others within the fellowship of faith. One who is keeping the commands of God and one who is multiplying themselves. Now, how do we encapsulate that quicker than having to run through um, five different texts every time we want to explain what a disciple is? What we did, and I was on the team that did this, so if you hate it, feel free to email me and rebuke me for it, is we pull from Mark one seventeen and Matthew 4, um, 4.19. And so it's one thing to say, hey, the Great Commission says we're called to be disciple makers by baptizing, that is calling people to repentance and baptizing them upon their confession and teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded. But it helps us then to go look at what did Jesus actually do? What did Jesus do to make his disciples? Well, again, we go to Mark one seventeen, Matthew four nineteen, same text. You get an extra word in, in Mark about becoming. Uh, nevertheless, Matthew four nineteen, follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And that's how we've chosen to define who is a disciple. And we take that in three parts: one who is believing and following Jesus. So we wanted to add that believe component that we're calling them to repentance a confession of jesus lordship and a belief in the historical resurrection the father raised christ from the dead so believe and follow jesus one who is being changed by jesus because notice the second part of that i will make you jesus says not follow me and you'll randomly become or you will put a ton of effort into and then come to exist as but jesus promises to make them to make them into fishers for people and we want to capture that by saying um be changed by the word there is just the most basic word for making stuff um no different than if you were to uh make anything or even perform something like building a chair right so it's just bringing about any effect it's just a really simple word so jesus is going to bring about this effect in us and what is the effect is that we're fishing for people we chose to capture that by saying we live on mission with Jesus. And so if you look at our disciple-making diagram of who is a disciple in particular, you'll see the conjunction of the central piece capture the Great Commission with the promise of, um, of verse 20 of the Great Commission. So we are disciples of Jesus, making disciples with Jesus, because he promises to be with us to the end of the age. But who then is a disciple, and what are we going to do to make them well, that's when we go to Matthew 4.19 and say, we call people to believe and follow, or maybe better stated, we don't just, we don't just call them, we don't just yell uh, on a street corner that they ought to do this, but let's say it this way, we help others to believe and follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and then to live on mission with Jesus. Now, that's the core of who we as the Brentwood Baptist family are defining as a disciple. So again, if you hate it, uh, feel free to call and rebuke me on it and um, and make your case. And then, of course, 
the whole reason I brought up verse 23 is say, okay, after he calls them, how is Jesus going to go about the business of making them into these disciple makers? That's why I love verse 23, because he takes them with him. Notice the inviting language. We're mindful of the lost and searching around us. We're maturing while multiplying. All of this is grounded in prayer, scripture, and Sabbath. So we're always inviting in the lost and searching with us to do verse 23. And that is to say, this is how Jesus made them into disciples, is that he began teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So we need to be about that business as we're calling and inviting other people into our lives to help them believe and follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and live on mission with Jesus. That's the business of the Christian. That's the mandate we were given. So I want to share and close with two challenges for us. The first challenge is the easy one. It's the beginner's challenge. And that is to say, simply print out a roster, role, uh, enrollment, whatever you call your list of members in your group, and take a day and pray for each one of them by name. So pick a person, pick a day, pray for that person. And, and ask yourself, in the presence of the Spirit, open yourself to how can I help person blank believe and follow Jesus better, be changed by Jesus better, and live on mission with Jesus better throughout the rest of 2018? What are, what are some things that I can do to help them become a better disciple of Jesus? And as you do this, my, um, my thought is you're going to start seeing some common threads pop up. There's going to be some, some, some nuanced things you can add into your leadership style or your group time that can really compel, uh, your, your people to become deeper disciples of Jesus. So look for those common threads as you're praying through these individuals over the course of a couple of weeks or a month, however long it takes you. And, and see if there's some, some very simple things that you can begin to incorporate that will compel them to go deeper in their faith, deeper in their um, discipleship to Christ. The advanced challenge is this. Pray over the next week about two people in your group of like gender to you. So two people in your group of like gender that you can invite into a deeper disciple-making relationship. Or if you want the advanced, advanced challenge, pick one person in your group that you can invite and then invite an unbeliever, someone, um, a lost and searching individual from your life and dedicate yourself to these two individuals throughout the remainder of this year and possibly into, uh, into next summer. Uh, think in terms of Luke six when Jesus calls his apostles. So he's already called Peter. James, John, and all these fellows to follow him. And Jesus has multitudes following him. He probably has a few hundred people at least following him around listening to his teaching. And he comes down off the mountain after, after a morning of prayer, after a night of prayer, and he appoints some as apostles. And that's where we get our 12. So Jesus comes down and grabs 12 out of the multitude that had been following him. And I'm asking you to do that same thing. I'm asking you to look at your group and grab two or grab one and a lost and searching person or two and a lost and searching person. And this was a tough shift for me to make uh, when I came into discipleship. I think I'd read too many comic books, watched too many movies or, or watched Avengers too much or something. But this idea that we would go after a part rather than the whole, you know, the no man left behind. If we can't all go, then we're not going to go mentality. 
that seemed more noble and righteous to me than I'm just going to take these few and give them some special attention. But as I came to understand that Jesus did it just that way, a couple of things began to click for me. Uh, namely, that as we multiply ourselves in these few individuals, they're then able to share the workload of disciple-making within our groups better. So in other words, three or four of you is way better than one of you. And if it takes you a year or so to develop that one or two people that can go do the shepherding uh, like you do, then amazing. Because when you're done with that, you're going to be able to shepherd not just one or two people well, but ten people well. And here's what I didn't expect, is that as I grabbed a few men to disciple in a deeper way, in a more emphatic way, have them over to the home, um, text them a little more frequently, just get get involved in their life and help them to live life more Christ-like. Not that I have it all figured out, but I was able to speak into their life uh, through the scriptures and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I became a better leader for everyone. I didn't expect that. So by investing in these few individuals who became um, more tied to me and more dependent upon my faithfulness, more dependent upon my walk, being sound with the Lord, I actually became a better leader to larger groups. So the whole group actually did benefit from me calling out just a couple within that group. So not only will you reproduce yourself and therefore expand the workload of uh, quality shepherding and disciple making within your group, but you're going to become a better leader wholesale, which is good for everyone. So those are the two challenges I want to leave before us today, that if we commit to it, I'm going to do it too. Um, it's, it's changed my life. It's made me more dedicated. It's given me better perspective. And I want to leave those two challenges with us. One, if you don't think you have the margin in your life and the Holy Spirit doesn't compel you to have the margin in your life, to invite a couple of extra people into it, you don't have the space for them now, well then at least print out your class membership and take a day, take a name, Pray over them. How can you help them become disciple makers? Uh, the second challenge, I would say the more advanced challenge is pray for the spirit to help you make space in your life so you can invite one or two people into it and give them special emphasis on disciple making. Just like Jesus out of the multitudes calls his 12 apostles. Likewise, I'm asking you out of your group to call your one, two, three individuals that you can invest in deeply over the next six months to a year um, and, and see what the Lord would do. Imagine, imagine if every group on your campus did that. Imagine if every group in our family, the Brentwood Baptist family, did that. I think we'd have an even more radical movement on our hands.